Okay, so today's daf is Lamed in Masech Sachim. We're going to start from the sugya that actually begins on the previous uh, on the previous uh, Amud. It's about 15 lines, it looks like, uh, from the top of the Amud or so, where it has two dots. Maybe it's a little bit more than 15 lines. I can't exactly tell. But uh, we're going to start from there, and uh, and uh, because it's one topic. Okay? So it says, where it says, Amarav, where Rav says, Chametz uh, bizmano. Chametz in its proper time, meaning to say during Pesach itself, ben b'mino ben shelo b'mino asur. Okay, that whether it's mixed in with mino or shelo b'mino. So we learned about mino and shelo b'mino before, which is mino means it's things that taste similar, and shelo b'mino are things that don't taste similar. He says in either case asur shelo b'zmano, not at its time, meaning after Pesach b'mino asur shelo b'mino mutar. After Pesach, if it's mixed in with things that are of a similar type, let's say, for example, crumbs of matzah with crumbs of ch- ch- crumbs of chametz with crumbs of matzah would be bimino because they're both uh, carbs or whatever. But whereas uh, chametz being mixed into a tomato sauce would be yishelo bimino. Okay, so the uh, so it says after Pesach bimino bimino bimino. Uh, sorry, but during Pesach, that's during Pesach. But after Pesach, so if it's mixed in with its own type, it's worse because you can't distinguish between the two. But but if it's mixed in with other things, then it will become batel. This is a general issue throughout Kashrut that we learn in Masachet Chulin, that uh, according to Rav especially, we treat min bemino more strictly than min shelo bemino. That min shelo bemino, when you mix two things that are not the same flavor, so the thing, one flavor overpowers and overrides and eliminates the uh, other one, and that's the bitul. But if you have two things that taste exactly the same, so you drop a little bit of nevelam meat into uh, kosher meat, so there's no... They taste exactly the same, so it's min bimino. So according to Rav, actually, min bimino bimashu is always asur, even in the smallest amount. There's no bitul with min bimino. So in Pesach, he's saying that that's also going to be true, shelo bimino, when it comes to, uh, when it comes to chametz. But after Pesach, he's going to lower the bar a little bit and say, bimino is asur, shelo bimino is allowed. Now, bimayaskin, in what case are we talking about? Ilema bimotentam. If you're talking about that there was so much chametz that fell in that it actually gives flavor, shelo bimino, shelo bimino mutar. How could it be that after Pesach, if your breadcrumbs fall into uh, into your tomato sauce, it's going to be uh, allowed. It's giving taste. So it's impossible that that could be the case. But we're talking about where the tiniest amount of chametz fell into uh, something that was not chametz. So on Pesach, if the tiniest amount of chametz falls in, to a uh, another to a mixture, whether it is a mixture that has the same taste, like you dropped breadcrumbs into something that's made from matzah meal or something like that, or you drop breadcrumbs into something that doesn't taste the same, it's going to be a sore, even the smallest amount. Then rab and this is in accordance with Rab's position elsewhere. This is general position of Rab and Shmuel throughout the Shas that they say that every prohibited substance, if a tiny amount of it can prohibit, if it's of the same taste, meaning if, the, uh, if a tiny bit of nevela falls into a large amount of kosher meat, it's going to always be a sore, even if it's more than, uh, even if it's less than 160th, because there's no bitul for things that are min bemino. There's only bitul for things that are min bemino. And Rav says, gazar chametz bizmano, shelo bemino, atu mino. 
And he said, even though that really should only be true when, when breadcrumbs fall into matzah meal, so that you have actually min uh, mino, really that stringency should only apply there, but we're going to make a gzera that even if breadcrumbs fall into your vegetable soup, it's also going to be uh, not batel, because you might mix it up with min bimino. And what about after Pesach? Bimino, so he's going to say that after Pesach, if bread, if your breadcrumbs fall that were that were left during Pesach, that you know were were around during Pesach, now fall into your uh, non uh, something that is the same taste but uh, not asur. So it's also going to be forbidden because Rabbi Yehuda, because he's following Rabbi Yehuda, that even after Pesach, it's an isur deoraita to eat chametz that uh, that was around. During Pesach time, but if it falls into something which is a different substance, then mutar, then we're going to say that it's okay if it, it can be batel, if it's a tiny amount, because we're talking about a tiny amount. Because we don't go that far. In other words, just to summarize. So according to Rav, it's like this. Generally speaking, there's a rule, according to Rav, that if two substances, one prohibited and one permitted, but they taste exactly the same, mix in with each other, then even if the prohibited thing is the tiniest amount, it's going to not be batel. It's going to make it a sore. If it were something which min shelo that the thing which is prohibited and the thing which are, and the subsets permitted are different tastes, different uh, flavors. So there, the thing that is permitted can actually um, can actually nullify the thing that is. Uh, that is not permitted because it's only a mashu, it's only a tiny amount, and, and the bitul will take effect because they are different items. But Rav is saying that when it comes to Pesach, I'm going to be a little more strict. So on Pesach itself, I apply, it, when it's min bimino, when it's something which tastes the same, and a little bit of chametz, the tiniest amount falls into something which is not chametz, and it tastes the same, but it, but it tastes the same as chametz, so you can't tell the difference, that's min bimino. So that, according to the Torah, would be a sur, according to Rav. But we're going to extend that and say that even if a tiny bit of chametz the tiniest bit fell into a vegetable soup it doesn't taste like chametz we're also going to say it's a sur because I'm making a gzera even though it's only a mashu I'm making a gzera that's what Rav says now after Pesach he's holding like Rabbi Yehuda that the isur of eating chametz that existed on Pesach even after Pesach is an isur Torah isur deoraita so, it, so there it obviously if it's min bimino is a sur always even the tiniest amount of a substance mixes in is a sur min bimino then, then after Pesach is going to make, be no different than any other case according to Rav so of course it's going to be a sur but he's not going to say that there you also have to make and be so strict and say that even after Pesach if the tiniest amount of breadcrumbs fall into a vegetable soup we're going to say that it's not batel there he'll use the regular rules of bitul and say that if it's batel b'shishim it's okay or whatever he's not going to go that far because after Pesach even though he holds like Rabbi Yehuda that it's an Isur Torah to eat the chametz that was around on Pesach after Pesach he's still going to say that it's not as strict as during Pesach obviously it's not Isur Karet it's not, it's, it doesn't have the same stringency and therefore it's going to be more lenient okay that's, the, that's Rav now, so according to Rav, basically, on Pesach, any, and chametz is a sort even in the tiniest amount, whether it mixes into something similar or dissimilar, it doesn't matter. That's according to Rav. Okay, after Pesach, if it mixes in with something similar, it will be a sore like any other prohibited thing. If it misses, mixes into something that's not similar, then it will be batel if there's 60 times, okay? Because we're only talking about a tiny amount, okay? Now, what about Shmuel? Now, Shmuel happens to agree with Rav about all other prohibitions of the Torah. So what does Shmuel say? Shmuel, amar chametz bizman, So obviously he's going to have to agree 
with that case, that if the tiny amount of breadcrumbs falls into the matzah meal, so of course he's going to say that that's min bimino, and according to Shmuel and Rav, both of them, even the tiniest amount of prohibited substance will not be batel if it falls into something that tastes exactly the same. Because without the different flavor to make the distinction, there's no bitul according to them. Okay. Shilobimino mutar, but he's not going to go that far with shilobimino, meaning even on Pesach itself, he's not going to agree with Rav that if the tiny amount of breadcrumbs falls into the gigantic pot of soup, that it's going to make it uh, asur. He's not going to agree. He's not going to make that gzera. Shilobizmano, and after Pesach, ben bimino, ben shilobimino mutar. And after Pesach, he's not going to say any, that it's prohibited at all. Because chametz bizmano, bimino asur. So let's go over that. So chametz in its, in its time, meaning on Pesach, is prohibited if it falls into something that's the same because we said that already that according to Rav and Shmuel even the tiniest amount will be prohibited and will not be nullified if it falls into something similar but if it falls into something different if it falls into something that doesn't taste the same then we go by we go by the bitul of tap we're not going to make a gzera that if I allow you to use bitul b'shishim for the vegetable soup against the breadcrumbs, you're also going to have, you're also going to use it for the uh, matzah meal against the breadcrumbs. I'm not going to make that gzera. I don't agree that you have to make that gzera. Okay, so lo gazar, shelo bezmano bebeminah ve shelo bezminan al mutareh, and if this chametz falls into something after Pesach, Shmuel is also going to be lenient no matter what. If it falls into, uh, if it falls into matzah meal, if it falls into anything because he's going to hold like Rabbi Shimon that the whole thing after Pesach is permitted really anyway. We're going to, I mean, really he holds that it's Asur Midra Banan. If it was Chametz that a Jew owned on Pesach, now it's after Pesach. But the Gemara is going to get to that. But the point is that he's differing with Rav on two things. Number one, he's basically saying that the same laws of kashrut that he applies to every other prohibited substance the rest of the year, he's also going to apply to Pesach. So since every other prohibited thing the rest of the year, the rule is bimino bimashu, even the tiniest amount will not be nullified. If it falls into something, it tastes exactly the same. So the same thing will be true on Pesach. And nowadays you have things that really taste exactly the same as chametz all the time that, that people have all these products, right? So that would be min bimino. He says that will be, this, will be the same as every other rule, but... Or the rest of the year, if something falls min mino, what do we say when something calls min mino? We say that it is batel b'shishim. So he says we're not going to be any stricter with that. But this, we're going to say that it's also batel min mino. Okay, like every other time. That's what Shm- that's what Shmuel is going to say. We're not going to make a gzera and make it stricter than the rest of the time. And after Pesach, there's a different basis for disagreement because Rav is holding like Rabbi Yehuda that chametz that was around during Pesach and now it's after Pesach is still asur mina Torah. So you're going to have the same stringencies involved over there. Um, to, to at least min bimino will definitely be asur bimashu, right? Even though Rav didn't extend it also to min bishenomino, but he would say that if it fell into something that tasted the same, we're going to be as strict as any other biblical prohibition. And according to Shmuel, it's not a biblical prohibition, so we can be more lenient than everything else and actually say that it's going to be permitted. Um, in either case, okay? But the Gemara will explain what, what exact case Shmuel is talking about. But in any case, the point is, that's Rav and Shmuel, that both are operating with the principle that in general, min bimino asur bimashu. If you have a tiny bit of non-kosher nevelam meat, it falls into kosher meat, 
It's never going to be able to be batel according to them because it tastes exactly the same. You can't tell the difference. Okay? And similarly, if you have something that tastes, that is chametz, that tastes exactly the same as now the, we have all these fancy uh, uh, flowers, that, rolls for Pesach, it look exactly like a regular roll, probably better than the uh, regular roll. So then uh, you're, you're not going to be able to tell the difference. So therefore, it's going to be never be batel according to them based on that principle. Now, what about Rabbi Yochanan? Rabbi Yochanan has a different view here. Rabbi Yochanan, he says, hold on a second. No. Chametz is a sore. It could be batel b'shishim, according to Rabbi Yochanan. Why? Benoten tam means it gives flavor. So that means that even if in this particular mixture it doesn't give flavor, why? Because it tastes exactly the same. So if the non-kosher beef falls into the kosher beef, it doesn't actually noten tam. It's not really noten tam because it doesn't really give flavor because they taste exactly the same. So we wouldn't call them noten tam, really. But what we would say is that it's the amount that if it were something else, it would give flavor, right? So that's the general, that's the actual principle that we use today, that if something falls in, we say it's batel b'shishim, as if it were a different, even if it's the same flavor, as if, you know, it were a different thing. I'm not, we don't say that during Pesach, but I'm saying in general. Rabbi Yochanan is making a general, po- a general point. The, 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 right now, Rav and Rabbi Yochanan and Shmuel, the one thing they have in common is they're basically applying the same rules of Kashrut that they normally apply to this case, except that Rav is making an extra Gzerah. But basically they're saying, they're saying the same rules that they would say in any other case. So since you have Bitul B'Shishim generally, so Rabbi Yochanan says the same thing. Right, then he says, that's during Pesach, okay? What about after Pesach? So, and, and after Pesach, he's going to say it's permitted no matter what it falls into. Now, why? Why does he say that it goes by Shishim, basically? It goes by 160th on Pesach. That's the gen- that is the halacha even today that we follow, right? Except according to Rashi, actually. Rashi holds like Rav, but, the, uh, but nobody else holds that way. We, we say that whether something falls into some, to another substance that it tastes the same or tastes different, we always say we do 160th is our rule of thumb, but really it's supposed to go by the amount that would give flavor into the mixture. He says it's the same rule. That's what we use on Pesach too. What about after Pe- We are not up to that yet. Right? So we, in other words, right now we're dealing with rabbis that say that we're just applying the same rules of kashrut of the rest of the year to Pesach. They didn't get that idea yet. Right. Yeah, later, we're going to see that on the next Amud. So you're getting ahead of us. Right. So we didn't, we didn't get that yet. So right now, <coughs> right now, we're just seeing how, according to the rabbis, that would say the same rules. Except for Rav, who makes in a little bit of an extra zero, basically saying it's the same thing as the rest of the year. Right? Yeah. That's right. But for Min no. So now, and, and now he says, and then, and what? And, and afterwards, and according, and Rabbi Yochanan is agreeing with Rabbi Shimon that after Pesach, meaning even Chametz was owned by a non-Jew, after Pesach, it's only Yisur de Rabbanan really at worst. Right? He's saying it's Mutarin Rabbi Shimon, but that's because we're going to see that even Chametz Shavar Lava Pesach, if it's in a mixture, it's permitted. They only made the, even Rabbi Shimon, who says it's Asur Midrabanan, is going to say it's only Asur be, uh, when, it's, uh, when it is in and of itself. Be'ene, they call it, but it's by, in and of itself. But not when it's in a mixture. Like, for example, if you go to the store after Pesach, 
that let's say was owned by a Jew, but they didn't sell their chametz, and you want to buy something that has flour mixed into it. That's okay. You're just not allowed to buy something that is mainly bread, bread or cereal or something like that. Pasta, right. But if you want to buy something that has an ingredient that is, uh, that is flour, that's not a problem because it's, uh, they didn't make that because they Now, now we're coming to your point, okay? Now we're on Amud Aleph, Laman Amud Aleph. Here's the bottom line of the halacha. Now, uh, chametz, whether it's in its time or, or, or uh, during its time, meaning during Pesach, whether it falls into a similar thing or a thing that is not similar, it is asur b'mashu, like Rav said. Now, we, we happen to hold that, but as they say in the Gemara language, but it's not really for the same reason as Rav, because we don't actually hold that in general, min b'mino, is, uh, is asur b'mashahu. We don't generally hold that. We only hold that by Pesach. And there are different reasons that are given for why. There's one reason that's given for why is because of chumrat de chametz, because chametz is so strict, because it's asur, uh, isur karet. Some people say it's because lo bedile in shemine, that people don't separate from chametz because they're used to eating it all year round. There's no other non-kosher thing that you normally eat every other day, and then there's a week that you don't eat it. Everything else is, uh, so that one reason is because they made a stringency because people are too comfortable with chametz. One is because of the other answer is what the Rambam says. The Rambam has an interesting thing. I think the Ran also says that uh, it's because it's Davar Matzirin. Because in general, we say about items that eventually become permitted. In other words, when the prohibition is temporary, we're more strict about the bitul. Because we say, what's well, going to become permitted anyway? So what's the rush? Just wait till after Pesach. Right? So it's called Davar Sheish Matirin. Either way, the point is that we don't follow Rav's general rule that Asur Bimashu, that the tiniest amount is not Batel, but uh, we do by Pesach. Okay? And Shelob is yeah, it's only the Rabbanan according to us. Yeah, we don't hold that it's the right. Any Isur Mashahu in the Torah is only really a Rabbanan. Right. There's never any Isur Mashahu in the Torah, uh, according to us, the way that we rule. I think maybe Rav, Rav holds that it is an Isur Deoraita. It's not so clear. Right, maybe me no. He might hold that it's Deoraita, but he doesn't say that explicitly, it could be. But I think the assumption is that it's Deoraita. But according to us, whenever there's an isur mashehu of something, it's always the rabbanan. It's never, it's never the right. So to own a chametz or, or to eat chametz, there's still a shiur to that, or no, there's no shiur. The shiur of owning is more, but uh, he's talking about in a mixture of eating it, it to eat it, yeah, yeah. Crumb, to eat it. So, so even a crumb falls in. No, the, no, it's, it's, it's really, really, if it's min bimino, according to the Torah, the way that we understand, not according to Rav, putting Rav aside, but the halakha lemaaseh is that if actually a tiny crumb fell into a gigantic soup, really it's batel berov, actually. I mean, if, 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 it's, if it's min bimino, it will be batel berov. If it doesn't have any flavor, it will be batel b'shishim. That's according to the Torah. According to our stringency of chumrav chamed, so we, we have, uh, we say it's asur b'mashahu, to eat it. But that, but, Owning is usually more than that. You know, kazayid, kabetzat has to be more. <coughs> Even the shishim is because we're assuming in Because of taste. Because of taste. Be right. If you knew that the taste would that. be right. Right. If you knew the taste wouldn't be there for some reason, or a chef tasted, he says there's no taste, then also would be, uh, would be okay. Now, that shelob is, what about after Pesach ben? Then whether it mixes in with its own type or a different type will be okay. And that is Rabbi Shimon because we hold like Rabbi Shimon. Umi Amar Rava, did Rava really say that? Amar Rava, Rabbi Shimon kenaza kanis. Oil Rava alav ba Yerobah imatzei. Didn't Rava himself say that Rabbi Shimon says no? There's a knas. You're not allowed to uh, eat chametz shavar alav Pesach because uh, the person violated owning chametz. So how can you eat his chametz? That's only the chametz itself. Like you said, bread or something. Like 
like that. But if it mixed into something else, whether it's bimino or shelo bimino, it would be, uh, it's permitted. Now, there's a question of whether you can per, per, take the chametz that he had and like actually mix it in on purpose. That there, the, there's a discussion about that. But if it's a mixture already, or after Pesach it got mixed in, then it would be okay. You don't have to worry about that. So like as people go crazy and they think that when, when it says you can't chop at a certain store after Pesach, it means you can't buy anything there. Not even apples, nothing. No, it just means bread. It just means bread and pasta and, and cereal, mainly. A flour. Anyway, and Rav goes according to his reasoning. Everyone asks, why does it say eight, seven days of Pesach since really they loved, lived in Bavel? It had eight days. But okay, Maybe, I think the cons- you can, there are lots of t- answers to the question, but the question is like a question that's not a question because it's just a way of speaking. You know? Right. Even nowadays we say uh, seven days of Pesach and we mean, you know, we, we mean eight. It's a metaphor. But anyway, he says, when the day was Amalan, he said to us, Puku go, get the, go buy the chametz of the Benechela, the non-Jews, even though they might have prepared it on Pesach itself. We're not worried about that. They had it on Pesach. You can eat it now. So that shows you that he holds not like Rabbi Yehuda, because it had said in the previous daf that Rabbi Yehuda um, would hold that even chametz that was around and prepared by non-Jews on Pesach, according to one interpretation of Rabbi Yehuda, would be prohibited because it was around during Pesach. Well, yeah, right. He also retracted. Yeah, he also retracted. Yeah, but the so but you see from this he holds like Rabbi Shimon. Fine. Okay. Now, Amar Rav says, Pesach uh, Rav says something that your wife would not like to hear. Right? Uh, the pots in on Pesach you have to break them. Why? Because So what's the problem? The problem is two things, Rashi explains. He says, first of all, So after, after Pesach, whatever chametz those pots absorbed, let's say, I mean, obviously you didn't use them for chametz on Pesach, but whatever it absorbed beforehand, that flavor is asur because you had it over Pesach. And he, uh, he says, so that, Rav says, because we saw in the previous daf, he doesn't agree with Rava, that, um, that uh, like, holding like Rabbi Shimon. He holds that any chametz that existed uh, during Pesach is going to be a surba hana'ah, so that chametz that's in the pot is going to be a surba hana'ah. And, another halakha that we don't agree with him on, which is, generally we say, is mutar, that once 24 hours passes from when a pot absorbed flavor, we say it's lifgam, it's already ruined, it's already spoiled, it doesn't uh, prohibit things anymore. And, and he holds that, no, he, he disagrees. He says that uh, that chametz that's absorbed in there is going to be a surba hana'ah, like Rabbi Yehuda said. And even though it's been a long time, it's still going to um, it's still going to create a problem because we don't hold uh, he doesn't hold of the leniency of noten tam nivgab. And Rashi says veletil He says we don't agree with him on two things. He says first of all we hold like once something is a mixture, it's already okay um, after Pesach. And 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 anything you if you cook something in a pot, it's considered a mixture with whatever flavor was absorbed in the pot. And he says, second of all, we hold no ten tam gum that any tam that's already twenty four hours old, it's already uh, a non issue. That's what Rashi says. But this is Rav. So Rav is saying that the flavor absorbed in the pot is still going to be alive and a problem. And the Gemara says, why? Keep it after Pesach. Why can't you just cook things that are Shiloh B'mino? Because even Rav himself said that after Pesach, mixtures which, with Shiloh B'mino, mixture between Chametz that was around at Pesach and a substance which is not uh, the same flavor is Batel. 
So why can't we use the pot afterwards? It says, no, Rav is making a lot of zerot here. He says, no, because if we let you cook a vegetable soup, you make gorma sabzi in there, and it had chametz in before. So now the gorma sabzi, really true, it would be batel. Whatever flavor was absorbed from chametz in the pot is going to be batel in the gorma sabzi. But the problem is that maybe you're then going to make uh, something that's, that is mino. You're going to make oatmeal in there, and, uh, and it won't be batel. So therefore he says, you have to break the pot. Okay, Shmuel Amar, Lo Yitzavru, they don't have to be broken. Aval Mashelu Lachar Zmano, Vavid Ruben Mino Ben Shalom Mino. And Shmuel says, no, just leave the pot until after Pesach and then use it with whatever you want. Vazda Shmuel Litamei. And Shmuel is consistent with his reasoning. The Amar Shmuel Shmuel said, Lahanudim is Abnei Kandate, the people who are pot sellers, not. Not the kind of pot sellers that we have in uh, New York City on the street. We're not talking about uh, the the um, the people who are selling uh, housewares, housewares. Yes, pants. Okay. Now, yes. So he said to them, and, and the point was that they would get a lot of business from the people who followed Rav because everyone broke their pots before Pesach, and so now they get they get to go. They have to go back to uh, buying new ones. So they were getting business. So Shmuel said to them, you better make the prices fair and not rip people off. Because, you know, when the men, people are desperate, the price goes up, right? Because he, he said, you have to be careful um, uh, on, your, um, on your pots. Don't, don't uh, make unfair prices. If you don't, then I'm going to tell everyone the halacha follows Rabbi Shimon and there's no problem to keep your pots. And then nobody's going to buy any new pots because nobody's going to break their pots. So it says, what do you mean? So why doesn't he just go out and tell them the halacha falls Rabbi Shimon? He just told us a second ago that he does. Right? Shmuel says that he holds like Rabbi Shimon. Ha, the answer is because In other words, he went to the neighborhood of Rav where the, the, the people who were uh, the, uh, this, the people who had the housewares uh, uh, sale, they were making big money after Pesach when everyone had to replenish their supply of pots and pans. And Shmuel said, if you guys start ripping people off, I'm going to tell everyone the big secret that the halacha follows Rabbi Shimon and there's no problem with keeping your pots and pans and you're allowed to use that after Pesach and then you guys are going to lose money. So you better be nice and uh, keep the prices Fair, so that. But of course, he was doing that in Rav's neighborhood. In his own neighborhood, he would have told people that the halacha followed Rabbi Shimon anyway. Nobody was breaking their pots and pans except when they were maybe fighting in the kitchen over, you know, uh, over an extra piece of tadik or something like that. In which case, it's totally justified. Now, if you have a an oven that is uh, that they rubbed fat on the wall of the oven, and so the, as a result of rubbing this fat, it makes the um, makes the bread meat. Alright, so it says, Asara Ravabar Ahilai Le Mechle Le Rifta Afilba Melchal Leolam. What? What happened? It was the fat of Dombe. Oh, is that what? Aliyah. Oh, yeah. Is that what it says? Yeah. So they would put the. Oh, yeah. Is that what they would use? In Iran they did that? Oh, really? So, so yeah. Oh, just for that. Interesting, huh? For bread? No, for cooking. No, just for cooking. Yeah. For cooking. yeah. So, no, what? It's no. One thing it's the one thing that's called back and it's allowed. Yeah. Yeah, it's the only thing that when it's a korban, it's not allowed. But when it's a regular animal, it is allowed. That's why they, got, they told the guy, remember in the beginning of the Masachet, oh yeah, ask them for the, the tail. It's so good. And he said, okay. You know. And then he got in trouble. 
Because in a korban, it's not allowed. But anyway, they put the fat on the oven, and the thing is, he said, you can never eat the bread that comes out of this oven at all. Afilu b'milcha, even with salt. Now, the concern is obviously that the guy's going to put butter on it, or he's going to put uh, cream cheese on it, because it's, it's meat now, the bread. Right? But it says, never can you use it. Meaning the oven, no matter what you do, any bread that's made out of there, you're never going to be able to use it. Le'olam, even if you go and you reheat the oven to try to burn out the fat, it's never going to be gone, according to him. You're never going to be able to make that, that meat is going to be that that oven's going to be a meat oven forever okay so they made it they raised it and says why dilma because maybe you'll come to eat it with kutach kutach was basically the equivalent yeah. of like a dip uh, like a you know those chip dips that are dairy yeah. that's basically what it was it had chametz in it too but milk. anyway no, it yeah. Milk. It milk. yeah it had milk but i'm saying it also had uh, it also had there were also issues with uh yeah, it had milk it had breadcrumbs that were moldy in it sounds delicious anyway so, uh, you cannot, this is a halakha, general halakha, you cannot make bread kneaded with milk. Now, the interesting thing that people, I think people do know this, they're aware of this, that there's no such thing as dairy bread that's kosher, yeah. which is why only certain less reputable kashrut organizations, they rely on the idea that because they put their symbol and the word dairy on the outside, that's okay because people will see that that's dairy. But the, the concern was that in general, making bread that is chalavi will confuse people because a person always assumes that bread is not, uh, is, 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 is part of, right, if they make it a different special shape, so that like, or pastries, that you know, people know that pastries are certain cakes, English muffin is actually an issue because English muffin, I don't think everyone realizes it has milk in it. Um, but that would be a case where they rely on that idea that it has a special shape, it has a thing, but it's an issue to have uh, dairy bread. And, I think that's, and that's the reason why so many bread, uh, pro, bread uh, brands are not kosher. Like everyone always asks, well, why is Wonder Bread or this and that not kosher? It's because it has milk in it. Now, Kayotzebo, similarly, uh, you cannot put the fat of the tail, like you said, that's the same thing. But here it says, the first time you, you layer it with the fat, it's, it's a, it, it will make all the bread meat. So that will be a problem. You can't have meat bread, you can't have dairy bread. Bread has to be part of a korn However, if you... But once you burn the uh, oven, so then it will clear out whatever layer of fat you put in its parv again. So it says, So that shows you that if you did burn out the oven, you can get rid of that fat layer and there's no problem again. So that is, So you see, not that Ravad Bar Ailai was wrong that the meat bread is prohibited. He was right about that, but he, was, he said that it can never be fixed. About that he wasn't right because you can actually heat up that oven, burn out the fat, and, uh, and then use it as the power of oven again. Once we've seen a refutation of Rav Abarailai, and we see that you can always extract flavor, so then why is Rav so strict that he wants you to break your pots from Pesach? Why can't you just kasher the pot? So, because one, that's a metal oven, or a stone oven, or something that you can actually make it kasher, but here we're talking about earthenware. Earthenware, there's no way to extract the flavor, and that's why Rob said you have to break it. It could be that both the oven and the pots are made out of cheres, out of, out of uh, earthenware. But but the difference is that when you heat up an oven, the heat was put, they piled the coals inside. So the heat was a lot more intense and you could actually extract flavor even from cheres. But a, a pot that we have, we're not going to heat it to that level because it'll, it'll break. 
So a person will not do it. So why don't you just go ahead and put the pile of coals into your earthenware, into your chalin pots? Right? What's the problem? says, no, because a person will be afraid to do it. Because they're gonna, they don't want it to break. So we are, we don't trust that they'll heat it up sufficiently. Because there's a chance that they will, they'll say, don't make it so hot. We don't want it to break, and then they won't actually extract the flavor. Hilkach, hi buchia. Therefore, a buchia, which is a type of a grill, was actually made out of tile. It says, hisikomi bachutzu, hisikomi bachutzu. That's something that they, uh, that they, the asur. That normally the fire is outside of this. They would put the food on it and they would cook it inside, and the the fire was outside. But if they piled on the coals inside where the food normally touches, so they could actually make it kosher again. So that's because they didn't care. I guess because it was very resilient, it wouldn't break. It's a it's a type of a it's a type of a thing that's made out of it's made out of earthenware. No, it's a type of a container. It's a type of like it says a griddle. I think they translate it as, but it's a type of a thing that they would put the food on. But they would it, so it was made out of earthenware. So normally you would think that it wouldn't be. Uh, you wouldn't be able to cast it, but saying yes. since you could pile, th- it was very sturdy. So even if you made it super hot, it wouldn't break. So people would not be afraid to make it super hot and put the coals on top. So they were able to make it kasher again. And now the question is about knives. What should we do with our knives on Pesach? Okay, I said, no, look, I get new knives. You know, I don't bother with that. That's good for you. You're very rich. You have money. What about somebody who doesn't have the money to go buy new knives every time? He needs it. I'm I'm not kidding. I didn't mean that I actually go to the store and buy new knives. I'm Jewish after all. Right? <laughs> what I do is I take the handle and I cover it with mud or clay. And I put the metal part into the flame. And then afterwards I take the clay off of the handle. In other words, he covered the handle with clay because he didn't want it to catch on fire because it was made out of wood, I guess. You know? So then after, the, after he heated the knife over the fire, so then he took the clay off and he dipped the wood part into the into the hot water, right? They were making kasher for chametz. Yeah, yeah. We're assuming it was just for hot. Yeah, you don't actually have to hold it over the fire. Over clear rishon, just put it into a clear rishon of boiling water, which is what we do today. The the spoon that you use to uh, stir the pot. So again, you put it in. You do hagala. You heat up the water boiling over clear rishon, and then you uh, and that will extract the flavor. That's the rule of Kibbol Okach Polto that we've learned before. We learned before in Masachet Chulin that whatever way an item absorbs flavor, that's how you extract the flavor. If it absorbs flavor normally from liquid, yeah, wood, yeah. If, if normally it absorbs flavor from liquid, so liquid, if it's directly from fire, then uh, then you have to hold it directly over the fire to make it kasher. They asked from Amemar, and according to the Bach on the side, it says, Mimaremar, a different person. So, what about these vessels that are glazed? So they're earthenware, but they have. Have a type of a glaze, some kind of a metal glaze or a gla- or a glass glaze, china. right? Well, it could be like a type of china. What's the deal with using on Pesach? If it's a green type of a glaze, I guess it wasn't a very strong uh, type of a glaze, so definitely you can't use it. But kiti bailach, What about the black or the white? Apparently, these were stronger types of glaze, and the the flavor might not penetrate to the earthenware part, and then it'll be okay. So if it has cracks in it, so then obviously not. 
So obviously the glaze is no good, but if it is smooth, meaning there are no cracks, so therefore we don't have to worry that the flavor gets to the earthenware part. So we see that the earthenware, when you put, when you use these items, even though they're glazed, the earthenware part sweats. It has like uh, moisture come out of it. And that shows you, you see from that that it, even in a glazed situation, it does absorb. And we learn the Torah tells you, because the Torah talks about everything being, uh, being able to uh, rehabilitate every item, but then it says, that if, if you, if you, that's actually talking about the Korban Chatat, that they have to destroy all the, uh, they have to re-kosher everything that it's used with uh, to get the flavor out of it. So it says that the, that the, the klicheres can never be rehabilitated and since it absorbs, it absorbs. Scientifically, once it's a, yeah, I don't know about today. Yeah. I, I, today, I don't know, uh, if, if, I'm sure our glaze is a little bit different than what they had then. I don't think that they were, yeah, but, you but, know. I mean, the fact that it's sweating from outside, it gives you raya that something goes They inside. think that that means, that, yeah, it says that, uh, that, uh, it's from the moisture from the outside part. Uh, yeah, she says, that, that means that, yeah, I mean, yeah, scientifically, you could say that maybe it's something inside the earthenware that just when it gets heated it, it exudes uh, moisture but they were interpreting it that it's exuding something from the food itself now what about about, about wine of idolatry that over there he said if you have earthenware jugs with the wine in it whether they are glazed with the black, the white, or even the green, weaker type of glaze the earthenware doesn't become uh, absorbed of the um, of the wine and therefore it doesn't become prohibited. Maybe you'll tell me it's only because it's, uh, that's only rabbinic and chametz deraita, so we're more strict. Called it takun rabbanan came deraita takun. Whatever the rabbis make, they make it the same way, whether rabbinic or b- biblical. So therefore, this is like what somebody mentioned before. It depends. It's hot versus cold. You could leave the the wine in those jugs that are glazed, right? That are uh, that are earthenware jugs that because they're glazed. They're not going to absorb because it's al It's cold use. Cold use. We're not worried about hot use, where there's actual. Uh, there's uh, the heat is a catalyst for further absorption. That's where we have the problem. So it's not about doraita versus drabanat, but cold versus hot. Amar Rabba Rabba, Amar Chia Barashi, Amar Shmuel. Kol akelim shishtamshu bein chametz betzoneim. There's been chametz matzar rather. Anything that you used only with cold, right? So let's say you had like, uh, I don't know, cups, uh, yeah, kiddush cup, if you use that for chametz, I don't know, but, or uh, uh, you use, uh, maybe you had whiskey in it a few times, maybe you, uh, something like that, uh, or things that are bowls that you use for uh, cold, only for cold eating, you don't use for soup, you use, you know, whatever, right? So, except for the container where you put the sour, the sour was the, not yeast, I, it always makes me upset when I hear people teaching this or speaking about it and say, oh, the thing with the yeast. It's not yeast. You know? It's, it, because yeast is not chametz. Right? It's, it's talking about, it's, it's a type of a dough. It's a starter dough that's very, very uh, leavening. So it's very intense leaven, leavening dough. So that, even though it's cold, chimutz is considered like heat. It's so therefore it will, it will, it absorbs. And similarly, and, uh, because, ho'ilu v'chimutzo, she'chimutzo kashe. Um, and also, similarly, something that holds spices that includes certain types of chametz, but it's very spicy. Um, 
that type of a thing also is considered like heat and it would absorb into the walls of the vessel. Similarly, if you have bulls that are used for kneading dough, this important halacha, even something you say, well, it's only used for cold, my, my bowl that I make the dough in, it's only used for cold. You know, like those mixing bowls? Only used for cold, you never put that over the fire, but if you leave something in there to rise... That is considered like heat. And so therefore will become something that needs to be... Uh, you need to make kasher. Yeah, the leavening is like a bishul. Yeah, yeah. So pshita... They didn't have plastic. They didn't have plastic. Yeah. So pshita maudete makeban derovicha shalit boavira. You might have thought that since it's a very open bowl that they use, maybe the air comes in, and that would prevent absorption into the walls of the thing. So kamashmalan... That you see from this that it is not the case. We're not, we're not, we don't have that leniency. We say that, that the leavening process is like bishul. So this is a very interesting ki- situation. Let's say, for instance, a person, generally speaking, let's say the counters in the kitchen. Now, people like to kasher them for Pesach just to be careful. But technically speaking, you could say meikara, then you really don't need to because you never put anything hot directly on the counter. It's used only for cold things. You don't put hot things on there. However, there are some people who put dough to rise right on the counter. Yeah. You know, they put it directly on the counter, even with nothing under it. They put it directly on there to wait for the chalat to, to leaven and to rise. That makes it considered like bishul. So if a person has that, then you would have to do hagalah there because that would actually be a, a case of, uh, of bishul. So it's a, that's a halakhalema application of this. Uh, you pour hot water on it. Oh, 